Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening as we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. It's a very pleasant evening in northern Ohio. The weather, unseasonably cold, but nonetheless, it's good football weather since most of the training camps have opened up in the last couple of days. So let's go down south and find out what the weather forecast is down around the Cincinnati area with our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how's things going down there? Well, it's going to be clear and golf for me. <laughs> and your handicap would be? I'm about 11. Now, where's the nice places to golf down there? Uh, I, I belong to a club called NCR Country Club, and it's one of the better clubs, I think, in the Midwest. And uh, they've had the U.S. Open there once or twice, and the Senior Open. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice place. And when you want to avoid going to a baseball game, which I do, uh, it's a nice place to go out and re- relax for two or three hours and uh, have some fun. So if you come, down here, you come down here for a ball game, I'd be happy to take you to the golf course. Uh, you know, I enjoy the game of golf. It does not enjoy me, uh, although the woods do, because I, I end, to end up cleaning out the woods very well. <laughs> you know, How's the wife, Mark? How's the dog? Oh. It's great. Both the wife and the two dogs and the cat are pretty good. And, uh, again, uh, I'd rather talk about just about anything right now, Dave. So um, you want to talk about Boy, tax, do I agree with you. tax write-offs or um, construction or commercial real estate? I'm all over it because I've, I've, I've given up I, talking about baseball. I, I think we ought to move on to maybe soccer or, or some other sport where our teams would be competitive. Mark, the day I start talking about soccer is the day you realize that my life is just about over. <laughs> well, that that's the way I feel about that. But, you know, well, I guess, you know, this is the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. This is a show about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And even though both teams are hovering around 500, Mark, I guess it's time that we should get into this. Even though the week for both clubs was absolutely atrocious, the Indians finished 2-5 and five on the week, and the Reds, hard to believe, they were even worse. They were 1-5 and five on the week. What the heck happened? Let's start with Cincinnati. What, what, why not? What the heck happened to the Reds this past week? Dave, you can't win if you don't hit. And we said this last year at the end of the year. We said it in spring training. We said it the first half of the season. This team, with any kind of hitting at all, would be in first place and certainly well within reach for a wild card berth. And the the, the senior management of the Reds have opted not to do anything about that. And now it's too late. Literally, it's too late. You, You cannot make a deal now that's going to help this team without really hurting your organization so rather than do something in May and June when Joey Votto got hurt, and then a month later when Brandon Phillips went down, when Jay Bruce today is hitting 215, uh, rather than going out there and trying to do something, you don't have to bring in a $10 million a year player, but do something to shore up the bench, to shore up first base, to get a guy who could hit 270, 280. They don't do anything, anything. So now the Reds are six games back in the standings in the 
Central Division, and they're also, I think, four and a half back in the wild card, but uh, they have way too many teams to climb. And now it's really too late to go out there and find a single player that can help your team get over the hump because it's, it's you'd have to give up way too much now at the trade deadline. Okay. Before we get into the Indians, there are three players that the Reds were supposedly interested in. I want to talk about those three players. Marlon Bird from Philadelphia, Alex Rios from Texas, and Matt Kemp from the Dodgers. Where do those stand? Well, they don't stand anywhere because unless you got all three, you're not going to make an impact for 2014. Now, having said that, I think the Reds, if they do make a deal, they're not going to make a deal that is going to help them this year. It's too late for that. But they may be looking at a deal that could help them next year. Like, you remember when they signed Scott Rowland in 2009, and it was a midseason trade, and people were saying, what, why'd they make that deal? Well, they made that deal to help them in 2010. And that may be something the Reds would consider doing with a Matt Kemp or someone of that ilk. But to do that, you're going to have to give up a Homer Bailey and maybe more. And, you know, the question is, how far do you roll the dice? The die has been cast, as far as I'm concerned, for 2014. Uh, sure, the Reds could come back, but what are the probabilities of that? If they were trailing one team, yeah, maybe. But they're trailing three teams, Milwaukee, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh, all ahead of the Reds. So... Going out and getting one Matt Kemp isn't going to help, or one Marlon Bird is not going to help. You need you need the three guys that you mentioned to come in there and hopefully put some life in this offense. Okay, so the Reds realistically are out of it. I think most of the Cincinnati media agrees with you because I understand Lance McAllister from the ESPN station and a friend of the show. He's been on our show before. Uh, down in Cincinnati, had said that he had spoken to several baseball personnel around the major leagues during the last month. And basically what he was told by baseball personnel around base, around the major leagues is that the Reds should prepare for next season. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, I do. Uh, and the question would be, again, the trades you make this year – it would be foolish to go out there and try and get a Matt Kemp or, or Marlon Bird and have to give up uh, Tony Singrani or somebody like that. Uh, and you may have to do it to, to get that kind of player. M my point being, Dave, it's too late to make that deal. You could have made a deal earlier in their year. I mean, Joey Votto, has, he has one more injection before he even starts back into to working out again. He's not going to play the rest of this year, and if he does, what's he going to hit? You've got Brandon Phillips on the DL till September. You got Jay Bruce hitting 215. There's there's so many things that could have been done in May and June, and now you have to prepare for 2015 because it ain't going to happen this year. Darwin Barney, released by the Cubs, put on the the assignment list. And you and I talked last week that we thought Darwin Barney was a perfect fit for the Cincinnati Reds. He ends up going to the Dodgers, who have D. Gordon playing second base, an all-star, playing great baseball right now. The Dodgers pick him up for cash considerations 
and a player to be named later. And we all know the players to be named later are usually somebody at single A. Where's Walt Jackety? The Reds need a second baseman right now. Barney would have fit in just perfect. Well, he certainly can't hit that well, but he's a, he's a great defensive player. And that, that's what the Reds... If he can't hit, that sits in perfect with the rest of the yeah. team. But he, he certainly could have backed... The the Reds needed a middle infielder for sure, and particularly a second baseman, as you mentioned. And I, I thought, sure, they were going to pick up Dar, Darwin Barney. I thought he would have been an absolutely perfect match for him. But, uh, again, <laughs> look, I, I am not a general manager of a Major League Baseball team, and I never have been. I do understand something about the financial side of it, as you do. So I'm not leaping to some kind of fan conclusion, go out there and, and spend $20 million on somebody. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, how long does Rome have to burn before you do something as a general manager? Do you wait until Thursday at, what, 4 o'clock, the, the trade deadline? Well, if you do, everybody knows you need to make a deal, and they're going to hold you up. And you you knew Vado was going to be out to September. You knew Brandon was going to be out till September. You knew Jay Bruce is not going to hit more than 220 this year. And to do nothing, I, I, I guess I would feel better if Jockety would just send out an email to the fans or get on TV and say, no, look, here, here's the rationale behind my my approach, and maybe then I would understand it. But from my perspective, to sit around and do nothing, it, it just makes no sense. I don't understand the logic of it. Mark, before we get into the end of the Indians, I'm going to make a comment about Walt Jockety. Before we do that, I've got a comment coming up at the end of the show I hope everybody sticks around and listens to because I think you will find this very, very interesting. But be, about Walt Jockety, you and I have discussed Jockety ad nauseum. And I'm going to say this. And if you disagree with me, I understand. But Walt Jockety, during the last two and a half, maybe three years, Mark, has done nothing but stolen Bob Castellini's money. Well, I mean, the, the proof of the success of the decisions made by a general manager is where you are at the end of the year or where you are at the end of two or three years. Now, the Reds have gotten into the playoffs, but they've always always been out of the playoffs in the first round. So if you're building a team that has the ability to win a world championship, or at least get to the second or third round of the playoffs, you'd have to say he has not been successful. If you say, well, getting to the playoffs is good enough, then you would argue he has been successful. But the Reds have the Reds don't have a small budget. I think they're, what, $120 million budget. Where do you allocate those funds? That is the measure of a general manager. And when you when you have the injuries the Reds have this year, certainly that is a valid excuse. But when you have the pitching staff the Reds have, you don't have to score a lot of runs to win ball games. But the Reds aren't scoring any runs this year. And they have the worst offense in the National League. And why that is such an obvious statistic when you have the best defensive team in baseball, you have a great bullpen, and you have great starting pitching. Is it so difficult to take her out to go get a couple bats? Is that is that beyond the pale to make that leap of faith? And the question will be back to your point: If he's stealing Castellini's money, you'd think he would steal to go out and get a Marlin Bird in May, not in July, 
when the Reds had a chance or get somebody to come in and hit. He does not want to do anything, Mark, that is going to I, I, that he could be wrong in. He he would much rather just be stagnant and do nothing than rather go out and take a chance on making the wrong move. That's what he would rather do. Yet, he signs guys to exorbitant contracts that have nothing, done nothing but hamstring this organization, like you said. And you talk about the hitting mark. Let me just throw a couple of numbers out. In the last six games for the Reds, I'm sure you know this, but just for those that don't, the Reds have scored ten runs in the last six games, and three runs came in one game. And they won one game. The one game that they won was Saturday, one to nothing. And it's one to one tonight against a team that's what in last place in the division. Uh, it's look, Reds fans are used to having a strong offensive team, and I, I've forgotten now the statistic, but. They went back a hundred years yesterday on the on the telecast, and the Reds have scored fewer runs uh, than they had done for for almost a hundred years. And it, it's it's one thing to have a poor offensive team. This team has no offense. It has no offense, Dave. I've never seen. I've been down to about half a dozen games this year, and I watch almost every game on TV. I have never seen a lineup like this. Certainly not a Reds lineup. And that is why I get frustrated with Walt Jockety. I'm not a baseball expert per se. I know I think I know the game pretty well, but I'm not I'm not down there every day. I'm not a general manager. And that's why I wish he'd just explain it so people don't take a baseball bat and want to destroy their radio or TV watching the Reds play. It's it's so aggravating and they have great pitching and you can't find one damn hitter, Walt. You can't find one from April till now. You put it's the same thing in Cleveland, Mark. And nobody's going to take their baseball bat to the TV or to the radio in Cleveland now because the Browns have opened up training camp. The Cavaliers, LeBron's back, and they're talking about getting Kevin Love. Nobody seems to care about the Indians right now, and it's showing they're 52 and 53 overall. They're six and a half games behind Detroit in third place in the Central Division. A game and a half behind Kansas City. Now they went two and five on the week, and in the wild card, they're three and a half games behind Toronto for the last wild card spot. And Toronto is clobbering Boston tonight, so it'll be four before tonight's over because the Indians are out. So what are off? So what do the Indians do? They've got the same problem, Mark. Hitting, hitting, hitting. Nick Swisher isn't hitting the ball. As Drupal Cabrera isn't hitting the ball. Michael Bourne is out of the lineup. Who knows when he's going to be back because of the hamstring injury. Quite honestly, if the Indians are out of it, they might as well not bring him back at all. Uh, you've got Carlos Santana, who was named the American League Player of the Week this week, had an outstanding week. He hit... Six home runs in the last ten ball games, Mark. Ten RBIs. Outstanding week. Five home runs in the Kansas City series in a four-game set. But what do the Indians do? The mainstay of this organization, of this ball club right now, is their bullpen. 
And what am I hearing that the Indians are going to go out and get? More bullpen help. I don't know what's going on. As Drupal Cabrera, supposedly Toronto would like to have him. I had heard the Giants before they got Dan Ugla. I had heard several other teams that were interested in Esdrubal Cabrera. Quite honestly, I don't know why anybody would give us anything, Mark, for Esdrubal Cabrera. Even the Reds. I'd love to trade him to the Reds. I think he'd be a perfect second baseman for you guys. But you would see within 10 games what I have seen over the last almost 10 years. This guy has got so many bad habits and a lack of focus in the field that he's not worth the money that he's being paid. Nick Swisher, as far as I'm concerned, I thought he was well worth the money when the Indians signed him. I'm still not sure he's not worth the money, but this season, in my opinion, he's just trying too hard and pressing too much. Jan Gomes has turned out to be an outstanding ball player. Michael Brantley has turned out to be an outstanding ball player. But again, I go back to the same maneuver, same move that both the Indians and the Reds struck out on, Mark, at the beginning of the year when they both could have held Nelson Cruz for $8 million and both organizations passed on him. I still go back to that move where either one of them could have set themselves up with a cleanup hitter for $8 million, one season, certainly. But Nelson Cruz would certainly look good in an Indians uniform right now and a Reds uniform right now. You, you can't say anything more about that because he has turned Baltimore from a third-place club a year ago, a team that just happened not to make the playoffs, just missed the playoffs, to a team that's in first place right now and three games ahead of Toronto in the Eastern Division. That's how good Nelson Cruz has made the Baltimore Orioles. He could have done the same thing with the Indians and the Reds, Mark. You know, what's amazing, as you were speaking and mentioning some of the Indians players, I wonder if we could construct a, a starting lineup from both rosters that would be competitive. Right now, given who's on the disabled list, and let, let's start behind the plate. Uh, I think Devin Mazzarocco is probably the, the, the better of the catchers, although Gomes, I guess, is having a pretty good year. I don't know his stats. But Mesoraco's, I, I think he's driven in 50 runs, has 17 home runs, uh, and hitting about 290. Uh, but w would you opt for Gomes or Mesoraco behind the plate? Um, you know, that, that's a tough one. I will say right now that that is a very, very tough decision. I understand what you're saying about Mesoraco. But Jan Gomes is throwing out, after the first month of the season, if you get rid of that first month of the season, 50% of the runners trying to steal against him after April. If you include April and the errors that he committed, and most of them were throws into center field, he's throwing out 36% of the runners trying to steal second. Kid's outstanding behind the plate, really outstanding. I think he, he overcomes any liability that he's got as far as hitting with Mazzarocco. I think he overcomes that behind the plate. Um, quite honestly, I, you know, I would hate to have to choose – between those two, and maybe I'm I'm being a little uh, selfish here, but I think I would want to have Gomes behind the plate. Well, I'd rather have Mezzarocco because the the team that we would assemble, based on the the looking down the road here on the on the lineups here, you have to have more offense than Gomes would, would present, in my opinion, on my team. So my team would have Mezzarocco behind the plate, uh, 
you would have Gomes. Who would you have at first base? Santana. Over Pena for the Reds. He's basically over, there. Over Pena or Votto right now. I mean, oh, no, if Santana. You have, are if, you, if, yeah. if you have Votto healthy, I mean, I think he's a far better over you know player than than Santana at first base. But uh, even though Santana's been hot recently, I mean, if, if Joey's healthy, he's going to hit 310, 315, 20, 25 home runs, and he's going to play a pretty good first base. So, um, so you, you would opt for Santana. I would opt for Santana only because of the the question marks that I have as far as Votto's health is concerned throughout the rest of his career. He hasn't been healthy for the last two years. No, let, let's say this is for for 2015. Let's assume everybody's healthy. Joey Votto. Okay, so we, we both go with Votto at second base. Again, assume health. You got Phillips, or who's your second baseman? Jason Kipnis. Who would you rather have? For one year? Yeah. Phillips. I agree. Shortstop. We might disagree on this one. No, I I, I think I'd go with Cozart. I think Cozart is better defensively. And quite honestly, I think his defense makes up for his lack of offense. And, and I've watched enough of Esdrubal Cabrera to know that when the chips are on the line, he won't come through. What's he hitting this year? Uh, 250. Yeah, if he was having a normal Cabrera year. That's a normal Cabrera year, Mark. See, he's the most overrated shortstop. He is having a normal Cabrera year. I remember a few years ago, he was in the, what, 280s, 290s, and, and had some home runs. I know he, he killed the Reds for a couple of years. That's and he's gone downhill ever since. Okay. How about third base? You got, we got Frazier. I, I'll tell you, defensively, Frazier's good, but I would take Chisenhall as far as a hitter over Frazier. And see, to me, Chisenhall's a better right fielder. If you're going to let me move guys around... Sure. I got to be honest with you. I would put Chisholm in right field over Bruce. Well, right now I would. I'd agree with you. I'd put just about anybody in right field over Bruce. <laughs> yeah, I, Chisholm's got a heck of an arm. That's his problem at third base. He can't control his arm. But you put him in right field where he doesn't have to have that type of control throwing to first base, where he's got the leeway a little bit to the right or left. I think he's an outstanding outfielder, and they've talked about putting him in the outfield. So yeah. I think if you move him to right field. He's a better hitter than Jay Bruce is right now. Uh, defensively, yeah, you're going to lose a little because I know Jay Bruce is a golden glover. But I think as far as the arm is concerned, Chisenhall's got a better arm than Bruce. I just think Bruce can cover more ground. But I would take Frazier at third, Chisenhall in right. Okay. Now, left field. Oh, Brantley. Yeah, I agree with you. Brantley all the way. Yeah. And then you've got center field, which is Hamilton. Yep. We agree on that. And the only guy... The only guy that I can think of, Mark, right now, there's two guys that could crack the Reds' starting rotation. Two. Kluber and Bauer. Who would they take the place of? Well, that, there you go. That's, that's the problem. But those are the only two guys that I would want on that staff. 
First of all, I think they could probably take Bailey's spot. Kluber could take Bailey's spot easy. Okay. Um, and as far as Bauer is concerned, I think he'd be your number five. Well, you've got uh, Latos, Cueto, uh, Leak, Kluber, and Simon. And, you know, Bauer would have to take the place of uh, probably Simon, but... You know, I know Simon's having a heck of a year, but this is kind of one of those years. Simon's never had a year like this. Bauer's up and coming. Um, that's a tough call there. Well, you could certainly that's, take, if you were filling out a, a roster of 25 players, you could clearly move either Simon or Bauer or Kluber to the bullpen because the Reds have terrible middle relief. And now you've got all of a sudden a pretty – you know, dominant pitching staff because the Reds. Well, with Brock. Yeah, and I I agree with you there. But here here you go. Out of the bullpen for the Reds, there's only one guy I would take, and that's Chapman. Anybody on the Indians is better than Broxton or anybody you guys got out of the bullpen. Do you know what Broxton's numbers are? Do you know what the Indians' numbers are? That's the only thing that's keeping them in this keeping them in this division. There's nobody on the Indians' staff that's better than Broxton. Oh, please. That no, Mark, please, Mark, Mark. <laughs> okay, David. While we're on the air, while we're on the air, go to the red statistics and look at look at Broxton's numbers, and then you tell me that's if you gonna, don't. Put him. That's going to take me a few minutes. Well, I'll save you the the, the time. He has, I think, an O eighty nine ERA. Uh, I think he's four and O or five and O. They have not. They have not hit him hard this year. They'll probably kill him tonight, since I'm talking about him. But Broxton... Uh, he's not in. Greg's at the ball game tonight and texting me. Chapman's into the ball game right now. Yeah. He, he in just, the ninth inning. He just got out of the ninth inning, yeah. So if Broxton... The Reds will not score, so Broxton will come in <laughs> in the tenth. But if, if you look at Broxton, he's, he's, if not number one in the league in ERA, he's close to it. Uh, he's been unhittable this year. Uh, again, that that can go away very quickly. But I, I think he has an under one ERA, and uh, his walk to strikeouts amazing. So I, I think if you just do a little homework on Broxton, you might change your mind. Uh, not to say the Indians don't have some good bullpen, they do. But uh, Broxton and Chapman uh, would anchor your eighth and ninth inning. And then if you if you keep Latos, Cueto, and uh, Leak or Bailey as your one, two, and three, and have Bauer and Kluber, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty potent starting rotation. And yeah, so I, I yeah. agree with you. So I think if you look at the, the rosters of the two teams, we could assemble the Dave and Mark approach to general management. Uh, we could assemble a pretty strong pitching staff out of the two teams. But, D- Dave, what's, what's miraculous is you look at the combined lineup of that team, and, and we've, we, we, we disagreed on Gomes or Mezzarocco, but pick one. Uh, then you've got Vado, Phillips, Cozart, Frazier, Brantley, Hamilton, and Chisinau. That's still not an outstanding offensive team. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's okay. It's average. It's not a great team. You've got guys hitting, you know, in the 220s. I disagree with you. You've got, you've got Chisinau who's hitting three, 330. You've got Brantley that's hitting 322. And has driven in over is driven in over sixty runs. You got Chisenhall, who's driven in over forty runs, and they didn't even play him against left-handers the first two months of the year. 
And I'm telling you that the Reds don't have anybody. Uh, if you go by their averages right now, Joey Votto's hitting 248. Uh, Phillips hitting about 270. Cozart hitting 220. Uh, Hamilton hitting 270, I think. I mean, outside of Chisinau and, and Brantley, nobody over over 300 out of those eight guys. There's not a lot of power in that lineup combined. Frazier's got 20 home runs. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, Mesoraco's got 16 home runs now, 17. You, you don't have, a, you know, a real bopper in that lineup. What, I was, what I'm saying is that combined, it's, it's a solid offensive team, but it's not, it's not a great offensive team. And... I'm not sure we could have a winner, Dave, if we combine the rosters. Other than uh, you'd have great pitching, uh, which may be enough. You know, with with that pitching staff, maybe a less than great offensive team would be enough. I don't know. Well, I I think it would. I think it's a team that would uh, probably win the division. I, I really do because when you look at the lineup that we, you would have. But nonetheless, Mark, we don't even have to combine the two teams. We had enough sources to know late last year and early this year, that the Reds were involved in trade talks with Miami to get Giancarlo Stanton. Jockety didn't pull the trigger for whatever reason. He didn't pull the trigger on Nelson Cruz. He pulls the trigger on Homer Bailey. He pulls the trigger on Ryan Ludwig. I These guys, Mark, they're... Ludwig is a 270 career hitter at best. Homer Bailey's a 500 pitcher. He just happened to throw a couple of no hitters. And he gives these guys contracts and 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 Brian and, and Brian Phillips or uh, uh Brandon Phillips he gives him a contract towards the latter part of his career. Joey Votto he gives him a 10-year contract. If he was going to give Joey Votto that kind of a deal, Mark, why didn't he get involved in a contract negotiations with Albert Pujols or Josh Hamilton and bring Hamilton back to Cincinnati? Well, you're talking to the choir here, and you know it's it's. I fun. know. You mentioned Jay Bruce here a few minutes ago, and Jay Bruce just struck out for for the third or fourth time. I, I I've lost track. It's, it's it's at least three times he struck out tonight. Dave, I have never seen a player with his baseball card, numbers on the back of his baseball card, have this kind of year. Uh, he is hitting now 215. But as if that's not bad enough, he is missing pitches by 12 to 18 inches. And I, I, honest to God, I'm not being facetious. I feel, at first I was very frustrated with the guy, but now I I feel sorry for him. He, he is so screwed up at the plate that I, I I know people are going to say this is silly, but he needs to go down to the minor leagues and get his confidence back. Go down to double-A ball for, for a week. Get your stroke back. You can't practice it on a major league roster. And I wonder if something's wrong with the guy. He, he's, he's missing balls that he used to crush. They're blowing fastballs by him. They pitch him. David, it, it's amazing over the weekend he struck out, I'd say, eight times on breaking balls down around his ankles. And yep. he, he doesn't make any adjustment to it. Something has got to, to happen with this kid. I'm, I'm afraid that this is the kind of season that can, can wreck his entire career. 
Well, you know, and and, and I look at that, Mark, and, and I say Nick Swisher's doing the same thing. There are times I look at Nick Swisher at the plate, and I wonder if he's actually even seeing the ball. And I know what you're saying about Jay Bruce. I've watched uh, several Reds games this year, notably on TV, of course. But, you know, I, I look at Jay Bruce, and, and he and Nick Swisher are having comparable years, batting average, home runs-wise, everything. And and it looks to me like neither one of them are actually seeing the baseball. Yeah, I, I have not seen – I'm trying to recall – I remember years ago, back in the 80s, Eric Davis – had a year. I remember he struck out eight consecutive times once in this year, and he just c- could not make contact with the ball. And it reminds me of that particular year. But these are the kinds of things that can can really get into a player's head. And and what is what I don't understand is why don't these players make adjustments? It is so clear. You pitch Joey Votto down and in with a breaking ball, the fastball away. And life is good. He'll never put the bat on the ball. <laughs> so, if you're Jay Bruce, wouldn't it make sense that you move up into the batter's box eight inches and pick up that breaking ball? If you know they're doing that, move up eight inches, ten inches into the batter's box. So you pick up the break on the ball before he gets there. It's then, then it's right over the middle of the plate, and at least try something different. And, and I agree. If they're pitching you outside, move up two inches on the plate. And you notice that nobody does that anymore, Mark? No, they don't. Nobody, they don't. They don't move forward. They don't move back. They don't move back in the back line of the batter's box. Nothing. They don't adjust. And if you're a pitcher, you're going, yeah, great. Don't adjust. I got you figured out. <laughs> don't adjust. That's terrific. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment. Mark, we've got three questions tonight on our Ask Us segment. And don't forget, I've got a commentary coming up towards the end of tonight's show. Mark, our first Ask Us segment comes from Patrick Q, and he asks us, who is the top hitting prospect in the red system? Well, it depends on where you're, where you're going. I mean, what, what, uh, what are you looking for? Are you looking for somebody to get on base? Are you looking for somebody to um, hit a home run? Because well, he doesn't specify here, but let's just say for the sake of argument, He's specifying somebody that is a, dr- a run dr- a run producer. Oh, I've got that guy. Uh, he doesn't exist. <laughs> That's his name. He does not exist. The Reds do not have anybody that I would call a thumper uh, in, in AAA and AA in, in any part of the minor leagues. And uh, it just doesn't make any sense that they don't try to go out and get that kind of player either in a draft or through a trade. Or if you're going to trade a Homer Bailey, go out and get, you know, two or three position players that have some offensive capability. It's just it, that that's a very good question posed by whomever posed it because the, the scary Patrick part. Q. Well, the scary part of what that question leads to is the realization the Reds do not have anybody in AAA, anybody that can help them offensively. There's nobody in AA that can help them offensively. Now, in A-ball, you have a couple of guys down there supposedly have some some good uh, approaches at the plate, but it's it's the frightening part. And we can, we can beat this, you know, till it, it's a dead horse, but uh, the, the answer is the Reds are offensively challenged at the major league level and in the minor league level. 
Mark, I've got to ask this question. I, I know that I've been hammering on Walt Jockety, it seems like, for the last two years. But what has Jockety done to improve this organization? If you guys don't have any hitters in the minor leagues, you've got two or three pitchers that may or may not be major league ready next year in Stevenson and the Cuban guy that you, you just signed. What do you have in your minor league system? Well, I don't know where it is today, but I remember at the beginning of the season, it was rated 26th out of 30 organizations. Now, it may have improved. I don't know. I haven't checked it recently. But when you, I think they have two players in the top 50, if I recall, or top 100, if I recall. Uh, I think the Cubs have eight, to put this in perspective. So the Reds don't have youth on their side. They don't have a lot of talent, which is going to hurt them in the trade market. Who are they going to give up? They don't have anybody to give up to get people that can come in and make a contribution this year or next. So that's the frightening part of where they are as an organization is it's not just because of the injuries. And I'll tell you what, you know, we're picking on Jockety and we're picking on the Reds organization, but you have to admit they've had a lot of injuries this year. But that's why you have a farm system. So you have people to come up and who, who can make a contribution to the team, and they do not have that in this organization right now. That's why you have a general manager, Mark, for these – if you remember three years ago, when the Indians were in the pennant chase under Manny Acta as manager, and when the Indians didn't make a move at the trade deadline, when they were three games out behind the Tigers in first place, three games out, they didn't make a move. It signaled to the team that this organization didn't have the confidence in this team to win the division no matter what they did. And I think that's what Walt Jockety has done the last two years with this ball club. Well, yeah, there's no question that that's what he's done. I mean, he would argue, and those who support him would argue, that that is what he should have done. And the only way you measure what he should have done is, did it work? And it hasn't worked. And the, I think the, what may come back to haunt this, this organization well, well after Walt Jockety is gone, and I can't, I can't imagine that he's going to stick around one way or the other for two or three more years. I, not the way this team has performed. But I'll tell you what, he has, he has really leveraged this organization's flexibility with the contracts that you mentioned with Joey Votto and Brandon Phillips and Homer Bailey. Uh, it, it just, it's beyond belief that they put that kind of money into those players. And then the money they put into Jay Bruce, hitting 215. I mean, clearly, you, you can't argue this. Those are mistakes. Right now, they're mistakes. Now, will they be mistakes next year if they win the World Series with those guys? No. Then we will be proved wrong and jockety right. But right now, if you grade his papers, that they, they were the wrong moves. What's the definition of insanity, Mark? Doing the same Doing thing, the same over, thing again. over and over and over again and expecting different results. Yep. There you go. Okay, back to our Ask Us segment. Tribe Fan 8 asks, what can the Indians do to get a hitter? They've got to make a decision, Mark. They've got to make a decision as to whether Francisco Lindor is the future for this team or is he a bargaining chip that can bring in a hitter. 
He is the guy everybody wants. He is the guy that the Indians refuse to give up on. If they want a hitter, they have got to decide, is Lindor the guy that they're going to give up? If he is, make the deal. If he's not, depends on the deal, of course, but if he's not, they're not going to give give him up, then bring him up to the major leagues and let's watch him play. You know, last week, Mark, was the prime opportunity for Lindor to come up to the major leagues. Cabrera had back spasms. They didn't put him on the DL, but he set out five straight games. They brought up Jose Ramirez to play shortstop, a guy that probably will never grace the major league roster on a full-time basis, ever. They could have brought Lindor up for five games and just said, let's see what you can do, but no. They brought up Ramirez. They brought Lindor up to Columbus, and since they brought Lindor up to Columbus last Monday night, he's played in five games. He's had five hits and 18 at-bats for a three thirty-three batting average, two homers, two RBIs, with five strikeouts and five walks. That's what Lindor has done at AAA Columbus. I don't know what they're going to do with Asdrubal Cabrera, but I think the Indians have to make a decision. So what can they do to go get a hitter? They've got to make up their mind what they're going to do with Francisco Lindor. We've got two more questions on our Ask Us segment. Curtis asks, what is the amount of games out before the Reds finally call it a season? Well, it's not just the amount of games out. It's the amount of teams between you and first place. You could be five, six, seven games out, and if you're in second place, then you're still in the hunt. But when you're five, six, seven games out and there's two or three teams between you and first place, that makes it very, very difficult because one of those teams is likely going to win every night. You're not going to, those three teams aren't going to lose and you're going to win every night. It's not going to happen that way. So your window of opportunity is very limited to get back into the race. So I, I would look at where they are position-wise, and, and just to make things even worse, it's, it's even worse uh, when you look at the wild card. They're only, I think, three and a half or four and a half games out of the wild, of the wild card, but they are, um, I think they're fifth or sixth place in the wild card right now. Okay, here's our last question on our Ask Us segment. And this one was just tweeted in about two minutes ago. <laughs> so, Mark, you're going to love this question. All right, it's from John H. And he tweeted in to me at my Twitter address, at OHBB co-host. He says, Dave and Mark, you're arguing about Cabrera and Broxton. Would you make the deal straight up, Cabrera for Broxton? I'm going to answer that question right now. Yeah, I'd make the deal. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> you don't want Cabrera to come in and play second base? No. Okay. No, I, I think his defensive liabilities uh, hurt the Reds more than his bat would help, based on the numbers you're talking about. Uh, now, Broxton's a middle reliever, but he could be – the thing about Broxton is he was the closer for the Reds early on this year. And he, he right now, he's got a 101 ERA. He's 4-0. His batting average against is 165. Uh, he struck out 26 and walked 12. Now, again, he may give up a home run tonight to lose the game, but he has been by far the – he's been better than Chapman. 
statistically much better than Chapman, and I think he also has six or seven saves this year. So right now, I, I think Bro- now I think Broxton could bring you a heck of a lot more than Cabrera. Is my point. Uh, if the Reds were to trade Broxton right now, I think a lot of teams would line up for Broxton. I don't think a lot of teams are going to line up for Cabrera. I think you could. I think you could get a lot out of Detroit for Broxton. You know, Detroit went out and got Joaquin Soria, which is what I thought they were going to do last week, and they did it. Detroit, they want to win a World's Championship for Illich, their owner, before he dies. The guy's 86 years old. They want to win now. No holds barred. They went out and got Joaquin Soria. And you know the ironic thing about Joaquin Soria is, Mark? What's that? Okay, here's the ironic thing about Joaquin Soria. He took over the closer's role in Texas for Joe Nathan. Now he's going to Detroit and taking over the closer's role for Joe Nathan. <laughs> well, I think if a if a, a phantom trade comes up or something out of left field we don't expect, I think it may be that the Reds would move Broxton. He, I think he's in the last year of a seven year or a seven million dollar a year contract for three years. Um, so you know you could, you could lop off seven million bucks if your team isn't going to win. Maybe you can get a, a good young bat back for for Broxton. Uh, and move somebody else into the uh, number eight into the eighth inning, uh, but I, I, I hearken back to looking at Broxton. If Broxton's worth seven million dollars a year, what is Chapman going to be worth in two years? Well, and pick? and we've gone over this before too, Mark, because Jockety again. I go back to Jockety. He has set up this pitching staff to negotiate against himself. With the Bailey contract. I mean, Chapman's going to look at Bailey and say, look, I'm more important to this this uh, uh, this staff than Bailey is. I should be getting the kind of money that Bailey's getting. Well, yeah, and Blados will say the same thing. Exactly, and, and Cueto. And, and look at Mike Leak. Mike Leak's a young guy. He won 14 games last year. He won, what, 13 the year before? He's won almost 40 games in three years for the Reds. And he's not having a great year this year, but he, he's he's a, a Maddox-type guy, and he's going to demand a lot of money. So you're absolutely right, Dave. You know, the, the, the Homer Bailey thing, I, I I haven't met one person yet who said that was a the kind of deal they ought to make. I mean, they could, have, they could have traded him. They could have put him on – his contract wasn't up, so they had another year of coverage with him. And see what you could get in, in the trade market for the guy, but he's he's a 500 pitcher at best. And again, we're we're talking about the fact that Jockety makes these decisions. And the thing is, they're easy decisions to make because all you're doing is spending Castellini's money. You're not going out there and being creative about who you could pick up for that 20 million dollars a year that would help this team offensively win more games. Right. Um. Okay, so that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment here this evening. Don't forget you can send in your questions next week to askusordmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can tweet them to me at OHBBCoHost. And don't forget, coming up here in about five minutes, I've got a commentary that I want to give, uh, and that will be coming up here in just about five seconds. Mark, the Hall of Fame ceremonies yesterday. 
Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Frank Thomas, Bobby Cox, Joe Torrey, and Tony LaRussa inducted. And in his own indomitable manner, Tony LaRussa decided that he was going to take the onus off of the Hall of Fame inductees, and the day before came out with this comment. It's my two cents, but I think you should let the steroid era ball players in, but with an asterisk. You can't place these guys ahead of Hank and Babe. It was a bad period. But if a player has Hall of Fame credentials, I think they should be allowed in. A lot of them had Hall of Fame credentials before all of this stuff came out. Then LaRosa threw Sandy Alderson under the bus. He said, I know our program in Oakland were 100% clean. I, I know our program in Oakland were not 100% clean, but we had our suspicions. Guys hitting stronger, not working out. I went to Sandy and the ownership about this, and they told me flat out, right of privacy, it's a collective bargaining issue. Alderson said he wouldn't comment on that statement until at least today. He did not comment on it, and he has not made any given any idea as to when he would comment on it again. Mark, first of all, I've got two questions about this. The first one is, Tony LaRusso should just learn when to shut his mouth and accept the award. But the fact is, do you feel he's right? Yeah, I don't like Tony LaRusso that much. He's, he's a hell of a manager. But in this case, he's right. I mean, you couldn't look at... Conseco and McGuire back in that era, and Henderson and the other guys they had in that team, and say, gee, they're not taking steroids. They were all taking steroids. But that was the era. That was the, everybody was taking them back then. And I think he was right. But don't forget, the pitchers were taking it too. So if everybody's taking it, it it's, it's steroid versus steroid. That's why I, I don't think that they should have I'm not hung up on the steroids as much as everybody else. And how can you how can you know who was taking what they were taking, how long they were taking it? They, they say that uh, Mark McGuire wasn't taking it before what 1992 or 1993. Well, maybe maybe so. I don't know. Does anybody know? How about Barry Bonds? He he was a Hall of Famer probably before he started taking steroids. Okay, here's my second question. Joe Torre managed the Yankees with Roger Clemens, A-Rod, and Andy Pettit. La Russa managed Oakland with McGuire and Canseco, and in St. Louis with McGuire. Are the baseball writers being just a tad bit hypocritical by inducting these two managers into the Hall of Fame knowing whom they managed, and yet holding those standards to the ball players. I think that's a great point. I, I really do, Dave. Uh, the, the, the managers, I think what Tony was saying, he, I think he was preempting what you just said. He was preempting the fact that somebody would point that out. Hey, you knew your players were, were on the juice, and now you're getting rewarded because the players that you knew were in the juice produced, so you won World Series championships, so now you're in the Hall of Fame. I think it's why I said that. Well, I tried. I went to Sandy Alderson. 
I said, hey, I got my suspicions, and he told me to basically to shut up and go back and manage. So I, I think you bring up a great point. Yeah, I just find that the baseball writers are being a tad bit hypocritical. I, I think more about the steroid era than you do. I, I will admit that, um, especially with some of the ball players that have lied and gotten away with some of the things, but we don't need to get into that. But if the the baseball writers of America are going to vote these people in, I think they've got to look at it from both points of view. You cannot say that the managers are squeaky clean and put them into the Hall of Fame, even though I, I love Joe Torre. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not a big fan of Tony La Russa. I feel the same way about him that you do. But if you're going to put those two guys in the Hall of Fame after whom they've managed and the admissions that especially an Andy Pettit made and a Mark McGuire had to make, then I think you've got to hold them to the same standards that you are these ball players that you will not vote in. That's just my opinion. You know, I think one of the most amazing things yesterday was when Joe Torre got up and thanked everybody from the Bat Boy, the Atlanta Braves, to, you know, the Bat Boy at the New York Yankees for his success. You know who he admitted? George Steinbrenner. That's right. <laughs> he didn't say a word about Steinbrenner. <laughs> no. Do you think he did that on purpose, or do you think it was just oh, no. a mental mistake? No, 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 no. He, he, uh, those guys prepare those notes for a year. <laughs> you know, he, he was—he knew exactly what he was not going to say, uh, and he, he and Steinbrenner did not get along. And he—he he did compliment the the Yankee front office, but they did mention—he did mention Steinbrenner, and I think that was very, very uh, loud in its absence. But Mark, had it not been for George Steinbrenner. Joe Torre would have never gotten another managerial job ever. He was oh. not exactly well renowned in Major League Baseball for his two stints with Atlanta and St. Louis as a manager. No, that that's true, but that doesn't mean you have to like the guy who hires you. And the people I know who knew Steinbrenner, I mean, I, I knew him. I, I met him once years and years ago, and uh, it was all about real estate. He was in the shipbuilding and real estate and, mm -hmm. and that stuff. Uh, and I saw him at the airport that day, actually, and said hello to him again. He was very polite to me, but everybody who worked for him said he was a real jerk. And, you know, I can imagine how he treated uh, Tory, and, and Tory hadn't forgotten it. I mean, it was very clear he hadn't forgotten it, the way he omitted that very, very loudly again. Mark, next year the Hall of Fame ballot will include Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, John Smoltz, Gary Sheffield, Carlos Delgado, and Nomar Garcia Parra. Who do you think should be elected on the first ballot? Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a tough those, one. Give me those names again. Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, John Smoltz, Gary Sheffield, Carlos Delgado, and Nomar Garcia Parra. Uh, Quite yeah. honestly, I think there's three of these guys you could throw out right away. To me, Sheffield, Delgado, and Nomar Garcia Parra are three that you can throw out right away. They don't deserve first ballot. Well, I, I think the only only first ballot guy on there is Randy Johnson. And it may not be just because of his statistics, but I, I don't think that there is a more overpowering pitcher that we have seen in the last 30 or 40 years since Sandy Koufax uh, than Randy Johnson. I mean, he, he was virtually, when he was on, he was virtually unhittable. And, I agree with you. And he didn't play with the greatest teams with Seattle, you know, in some of those years. They were they were good some years, some they weren't. Uh, but he, to me, he was the. If, you, if you're going after talent and 
domination of your era. Can you think of a pitcher in the last 30 or 40 years who was more dominant than Randy Johnson? No, no. not uh, The only other one I can think of is Nolan Ryan. Yeah, and Nolan Pops. Ryan, people forget, barely had a 500 record. Right. Uh, you know, he was, yeah, and, and he's, he's in the Hall of Fame, too. So, uh, right. So I think Randy Johnson certainly would be, he'd get my vote if I had one. Mark, I want to make a comment right now about something that, that happened uh, last Friday. Now, this is a baseball show. I will admit that. And, Mark, you and I have complained about Bud Selig and how he has handled things with Major League Baseball. And I have been a very known uh, enemy, I guess you could say, of some of the other commissioners in in the sports. David Stern, uh, Bud Selig, I've not been crazy about them. But I've got to say, David Stern and Bud Selig have never stepped away from the integrity of their sport. I will give them that. Every decision that they have made was for the integrity of their sport. The decision that Roger Goodell made Friday on the Ray Rice domestic violence incident, suspending him for two games, Mark, to me is a travesty of the commissioner of football. To me, he dropped the ball. To me, this is a an example of why Roger Goodell is in over his head as commissioner of football. When you can be suspended five games like Terrell Pryor was when he entered the NFL for simply trading a pair of pants for a tattoo and a football player hits a woman, commits violence against a woman, knocks her out in an elevator, drags her out of the elevator, by her hair, on videotape, admits it, and gets only two games, the commissioner of that sport needs to be removed. And I don't know how you feel about it, Mark, but as far as I'm concerned, there is no room in the world of sports for an athlete that hits a woman and only gets a two-game suspension. Not only was Ray Rice wrong, Mark, but Roger Goodell doubled that wrong doing by Ray Rice by only giving him a two-game suspension. That's my commentary. Well, I, I agree 100% with what you said, and what is so amazing is that the receiver, what, what's his name for the Indian, for the Browns who got a one-year... Josh Gordon. Yeah, he got a one-year suspension for smoking grass, and the other guy beats the hell out of his wife or girlfriend, I don't know what she was, and he gets two games? That That is so outrageously stupid that Goodell, he, he doesn't have a clue. I mean, it, that's, that is just bizarre. But, you know, w what people forget is that when you are a football player, you are you, your life is violence. I've played football, and the coaching staff wants mean guys who likes to hit people. Now, they don't say hit your girlfriend or your wife, but you're dealing with a mentality that is designed to go out there and hurt people, to take them out of the game, to give a quarterback a concussion so he can't play that game. That's what they are trying to do. They're trying to give knee injuries to players. They're trying to break their ribs so receivers can't catch. That's the kind of mentality it is. 
and now you're surprised that the guy cold cocks his girlfriend in the elevator? You know, you you can't be that surprised. But no, I'm I'm not. What I'm surprised at is the fact that the commissioner of football is basically allowing it to happen with with no repercussions whatsoever. I apologize if you think this is a baseball show and you're listening and and I brought football into it, but I felt strongly enough that I don't think an athlete should be allowed to hit a woman. That that's just my opinion. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? Well, they're playing Arizona this week, and then they go down to, to Miami for four games over the weekend. And uh, honestly, I think tonight's game and tomorrow's game and Thursday afternoon's game before the trade trade deadline, if they don't win all three, I think they're going to be sellers. And if they win all three and Milwaukee loses a couple games, the Reds are back in it. So the, the trade deadline it will probably go down to the final hour. But uh, how about the Indians? The Indians have an eight-game homestand coming up. They've got Seattle tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then Texas Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then next Monday night when we're back with the show, the Reds are in Cleveland. Okay. You'll have to, All right. we'll have to make our bets. <laughs> we'll talk to you again next next Monday night, Mark. Thanks. All right, David. Good night. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Our thanks to you for listening. Don't forget my Ultimate Sports Talk show coming up Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Mark and I will be back next Monday night with another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. That will be at 9 o'clock next week here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing the show. Our thanks to those that sent in their questions for Ask Us. But most of all, our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Until next week, good night, everybody.